Today on the Met Mad Podcast, we're talking to Carmine Crudelli, owner of Photo Locomotive Works. So get your ticket from the station, grab a seat, and make sure you don't miss the train. All aboard. Good evening, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to episode 64 of the Matt Matt O'Scale Trains podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rochford, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Matt and Johnny. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing pretty good. How about yourself, man? I'm good. I'm good. How about you, Johnny? Doing pretty good. I'm covered in weathering powder, and Matt Z, is his, I think he's in his 800th game of solitaire tonight. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> You know, I hope they make maybe they'll make a solitaire boxcar one day. Or you know what? I think the guy on the podcast night, our yeah, guest, he could probably make, make one. one for you. He could make me one, Mister Old Carmine Crudel. Ah, uh, Crudel, <laughs> there it is, right there. You knew it was coming. I, I I'm you gonna. I'm, you're, you're not getting a solitaire boxcar. You're gonna get a minesweeper boxcar. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> Where you push the wrong side, it's gonna explode. <laughs> <laughs> Got to start with the exploding boxcar as the base. <laughs> Well, thanks for joining us tonight, uh, Carmine. So Carmine's here uh, as our guest. We're going to do a nice little interview with him, talk to him about his, uh, you know, model railroading experiences, uh, his, uh, obviously he's the owner of uh, Photo Locomotive Works, so he does a lot of custom painting and modifications, and uh, we look forward to speaking with him. But before we dive into that, uh, we're going to do our little check-in here. Carmine, since you're the guest, uh, what have you been doing in the last couple of weeks? Uh, last couple of weeks, I've kind of been busy. Uh, been working on some customers' projects, just getting caught up with those. I'm actually currently doing decals on a couple of locomotives and cars. Uh, I actually uh, just finished up a an entire observation platform that <laughs> was built to actually go on the uh, Rail King Overton cars. So I'm turning one of them into an observation car for somebody. Uh, working on a boiler front for a brass uh, third rail SP locomotive and just completely nonstop stuff. Um, I'm trying to squeeze in my own personal projects in between here and there, but it's tough because, you know, the customers come first and, you know, I'm, I'm very particular about my stuff. And if it's something I'm not happy with, it's not leaving the house until I'm confident with it. So, but it's busy and I can't complain. Awesome. Uh, Matt Z, how about yourself, man? I've been busy uh, working on my lad. I've been uh, doing a little more bench work and all that. I tore up my old layout, so I don't have a layout to run on, but I've been using the part of the bench work just to kind of stage some stuff and kind of get an idea of what everything will look like. So I'm, you know, getting there slowly. I got basically half of it done, uh, at least mocked up, and some some parts are finished. But uh, I'm really getting there, so... Soon enough, here we'll be running trains again, so that'll be cool. Awesome. Looking forward to it, man. And I love Johnny and I uh, to be at the end here because we actually had a really cool shared experience last weekend. And I'll let Johnny go ahead and explain it. He's a bit more articulate than I am. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Um, so, yeah, we did have quite the experience this weekend. Uh, Matt R. and I went to the Illinois Rare Museum for their Shea Forward weekend 
which was an event where um, it was a fundraiser event for one of the editors of Trains Magazine who recently passed. Um, so his spouse had done an event uh, for the Shea, his favorite engine, where you could uh, either drive the Shea for $300 or you could uh, ride the Nebraska Zephyr for the dinner train, which is exactly what we did. And it was a very, very exciting, very fancy experience. Nothing's cooler than getting on a vintage Streamliner and having um, basically uh, white linen service. Uh, and we made a bit of a, an oopsie of not buying our tickets together. So we were crossing our fingers that we would get to sit with each other. Um, our buddy Jason did not, but we were lucky enough to be seated at the same table. And we actually met somebody um, quite quite big for our industry, uh, for model trains, who just so happened to be sitting with us. In fact, sitting right next to Matt, of all things, um, Joe Stackler from the uh, from t- formerly of TM Books and Videos, a person who made a lot of uh, VHSs and shows that I know Matt Z and I grew up watching. So it was a wonderful experience getting to be able to share dinner with him, talk with him, share share a bottle of wine with him. And uh, pick his brain on his experience in the industry and, and making training videos for, I think, 12 years with Tom McComas. So it was really fun. But I enjoyed it. How about you, Matt? It was definitely an experience that I've never had before. Uh, I've, you know, I've taken Amtrak before down to San, to San Antonio and, you know, had the <laughs> sandwich on the train. I think I had, we had breakfast. So, you know, I had the normal kind of Amtrak, you know, breakfast and meal. But this was something that was like kind of beyond what I expected it to end up being. It was, you know, I'm not really a big fancy kind of dinner person. Um, You know, I'm a old town Midwest guy. I like steak and French fries and burgers and, you know, (laughs) all that kind of stuff. But to sit down and, and have that kind of service and just it really felt like we were transported, you know, back in time. Uh, and we just really enjoyed the, you know, the traveling that we did. I mean, of course, you know, you're just going kind of back and forth out there at IRM. But I think they did a good job of simulating that kind of Zephyr experience in the end. So, yeah, uh, had a great time. And, of course, it was great to share it with my friends. Yeah, we were, I think the best part was being able to take home the the the, the wine glasses that had the zephyr engraved onto the glass i think that was probably the coolest part yeah so uh they besides the wine glasses they were given away uh we got a button uh with the shay on it and said shay it forward uh it was the wife of the was like the owner or the editor of trains magazine yeah editor. yeah editor uh he unfortunately had passed away but in his honor she created this like fundraiser thing and uh, it was a really good experience. We got to actually meet her only for like a little bit as she kind of came down and met people. But she seemed really, really nice. And I think she was actually, I think she had uh, participated in the Shea too. And I think she was one of the uh, the drivers on it or, you know, they let her do it. So, which is kind of a really cool experience. I, I actually didn't know that you could do that, but um, I think I'll save it for another engine. Uh, although, you know, the Shea would have been cool. Uh, I, I, you know, for me... I think I'd like to get myself into a diesel and and drive that and blow the horn and all the little whatnots with that. 
The light should be on a speeder. <laughs> Does it have a whistle or a horn? <laughs> um, it's it's a uh, Chicago Jason with an air horn he bought at the dollar store. No, a kazoo, a kazoo, a kazoo. <laughs> look out, look out, folks! There's a there's a, a picture. There's there's some good video right there for you. <laughs> you pull you pull his finger and he blows the kazoo. Thank you. <laughs> All righty. Well, that, I think that wraps up our check-in. But uh, before we start our main topic, uh, Johnny has uh, a few words for us. Looking to expand your collection? Check out Trains.com. Trains is your go-to place for new and used model railroad products. They have everything ranging from engines, rolling stock, parts, track, and scenery. If you need it, they probably have it. With new discounts being added daily, you'll be sure to find something you like. Plus, Trains offers a newsletter which keeps you up to date on new items, discounts, and upcoming promotions. We've been using Trains for years, and we highly recommend their stellar service. What's really cool is you can also collect points by buying trains and using them on future purchases. With their awesome rewards program, you can earn points on every purchase that you can use for future discounts. Dedicated modelers can also join their private car membership to get exclusive access to new listings, earn 5 points per dollar spent, and unlock great benefits like no questions asked returns. Trains not only sells trains, but also buys them too. If you've got a large collection or are interested in downsizing and making some cash, you can head on over to sellmytrains.com. It doesn't get easier than that. You can find them using our affiliate link, www.trains.com slash MMOP, or if you want to use our one-time promo code MMOP, you can get $10 off a single purchase on the trains.com website. So check out trains.com and start expanding your collection today. All right, Johnny, thanks for those uh, wonderful words. And uh, let's go ahead and... uh on the main topic tonight. And again, just to kind of recap, we're talking with uh, Mr. Carmine Crudelli. Uh, and again, uh, he does some custom painting and modifications. Uh, he's also a model railroader. Go figure. But uh, Carmine, I'm going to go ahead and start here. And uh, we're going to keep it very open and very casual uh, tonight. Alrighty. And I'm going to I'm going to ask you what I always ask people, because I think this is kind of a good starter. But uh, when and who got you started in model railroading? So when's kind of a weird question because I don't really know when, because as far as I'm aware, I've been in it for as long as I can remember. I, I actually have a photo of my father and me. I'm actually looking at it right now because I'm at my desk, but it's my father and me. And I'm probably not even a year old and we're laying on the floor on our stomachs. And my dad's got the Lionel train set up underneath the Christmas tree. And it was, it was right around that time. My dad always told me, I realized that's when I screwed up. That's when forever I gave you debt. <laughs> and it's funny because that's coming from somebody who never really was a train person. In fact, in my family, my whole family's made up of firefighters, essentially. And I'm kind of like the one oddball that went to aviation school and is into model trains. Everybody else is firefighters and they're into that kind of stuff. And, you know, they're mechanically inclined as, as I am. But I've always been the one that wanted to follow the train path or like the aviation path because that that's what I do and that's what I went to school for. And uh, I can honestly say it's it's ever been it's been at least since I was one, at least since I was one. That's when I saw the first Lionel train when I was a little kid and it was every year for Christmas. The train came out. The train set was set up underneath the tree. And I'll, I'll never forget the steam engine. It was a 2065. The thing never ran right. It just, it would always have issues. 
And we always had um, a CNO GP, a high nose GP that was part of my dad's collection when he was a kid. And that thing always ran. And I always remember that thing always running with no issues, but I always wanted the black steam engine to run it. It would never run and it always broke my heart until finally I got old enough and I started doing my own repair work on it. And now the thing still runs. <laughs> and I haven't, me being a painter and stuff, I haven't changed a thing on it. I still have, when I was a little kid, the different areas where I colored in paint chips with Sharpies to make it look pretty. It's still got the rust on the side rods, but you know what? It still runs, and that that and the CNO GP are always going to be big pieces in my collection because those were the ones that kind of started everything for me. And it, it was my dad, you know, and, and it was it was unintentional, and it's probably a way a lot of people got into this hobby, you know. It was it was just one of those things. It's it's been with me ever since, and I'm I'm always grateful to my father for <laughs> for making that mistake one year <laughs> because without him I, I wouldn't have the wonderful friends that I have in the hobby and the great people I've met and the uh, awesome experiences I've had through it. So that's awesome, dude. It, it's impressive that your your old original starter set stuff is still running. I think half half the people out there they've got the original set, but whether or not it's running or not is a is up for debate. I know for me personally, I, I might start percentage and I think I left it in limbo for like 10 years when I was younger. Yeah. So it actually, it actually got so bad. My dad had to put them on a shelf in my bedroom, like really, really high up to where I couldn't get to them because I was a little savage and I was going up there and getting the trains down. And even before I could put track on the floor, I was pushing them along the floor. Like it was, it was nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. That's, that's great. That's, that's something, man. Yep. Hey, at least you still got it. That's cool. That's that's for sure, and it's never going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I uh, I, I had a question kind of on the same lines. Yes. Um, is not not even know how I got started in my railroading. How did you get started with the uh, paintwork and your business? So the paintwork's kind of a kind of a weird thing. It's I started. I worked at a hobby shop for almost fifteen years, and. I was in the, obviously the model trains. That's where I worked. I, I got a job in sophomore year of high school and, um, I got hired in the train department. Cause that's obviously what I was into. But while working there, I kind of transitioned into the models, like the plastic model department and stuff like that. And, um, I actually kind of got into the custom painting because of my, my love and my passion for like American history and history in general. So I started doing a lot of models of like aircraft and particularly ships. Cause I'm a big historian on like the Titanic and, you know, World War II and the Pacific War and, and ships in general. So the, the custom painting kind of started in that aspect. And it started in the respect that I was the guy in the hobby shop that whenever people wanted a model done or a model commissioned, I would end up doing it for them. I would do a lot of models for veterans. I've had the honor of doing um, models of the USS Indianapolis for one of the survivors. And I've had a lot of cool experiences. And then one day I just was like, I, I had a, I had a crappy DC powered Lionel general. And I looked at it one day and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try and paint this. And it was like anything else. Like I, I took it apart to the best of my ability at the time. I spray painted it. I didn't know what decals were or how you could make your own custom decals at that time or anything like that. And, uh, <laughs> I quote unquote made decals on my printer and I printed them out and I glue sticked them to the side of the tender 
And I'll be honest with you, that that thing looked pretty snazzy for what it was. I put a headlight in it because it didn't have a headlight because it was a, a plain Jane DC model. And um, to this day, I still have it. And I, I can honestly say that I definitely think that little engine was kind of the jump off point for where the model train painting really came from. Um, as far as the business, I've had the business for, I want to think, three years now. And and originally, it wasn't designed to be a business like for me to paint things for people. It was it was literally my own stuff, and and it started with me making my own stuff, particularly Disney related stuff, because some people do know that Disney's like one of my things, and especially with the railroad and the history, I, I had a bunch of people saying, "Hey, listen, can you make me this engine? Can you do this? I want one of these. I want this car. Blah blah blah." And you know, one day my wife, she's like, you know why don't you like make that a thing? Like, and I was like, like a little business. And she's like, yeah. So I started taking in commissions. And then eventually I was like, you know what? Let me, let me try and go legit with this. I mean, it is tough. I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm a one man show. I have pretty much three jobs and this kind of fills in whatever else is in between. Um, so I do take a little longer to get things out and finished, but as some people can attest, most of the people and pretty much every customer I've had, um, it is worth the wait <laughs> with my stuff because I am very particular about how I do everything. And I do like to think outside the box on how I accomplish things. In fact, Johnny, Johnny's one of the guys that knows because me and him did a project together. And it's, it's honestly one of my favorite projects that we did of his. And, uh, it just kind of turned into a business. And, and I got a lot of people following the page on Facebook. I, I constantly have people that want things done. I do everything from full on custom builds to, repaints of existing engines where, you know, paint came from the manufacturer messed up. Can you change this? Can you change that? And, and it's, it's honestly been great. I mean, it cuts into some of the time of me doing my own personal stuff, but you know what? I'll always have time <laughs> down the road. Cause I can't do this forever. And, you know, maybe at that time I'll do my own stuff, but in the meantime, I'm, I'm more than happy to make other people happy and have them have their toys that they can enjoy. That's really cool. I, uh, that's a really good backstory. I, I've, you know, I've been following your page, uh, I think almost since the beginning, I remember looking at all your Disney stuff and that's really cool. And then, you know, I started to know you with discord and all that. And then when I saw your engine with Johnny, I'm like, wow, this is great stuff, dude. Really cool. Appreciate it. Yeah. That, that piece you made for me is one of the gems of my collection. I I know we've asked this question on the show a couple of times. They're like, hey, if you had to sell everything, but keep something, that that is the piece that I would keep. Um, for those who don't know, uh, the project I did with Carmine was uh, I'm, of course, the Daylight Guy, the GS for Addict. So I there's a time where um, the Daylight 4449 was an all-black paint, and with World War II lens, uh, like, uh, air raid shrouds on the, the lights, and nobody had ever made that. Um, so I worked with Carmine to get a Proto 1 turned into that model. And you went you went crazy with that. Even even the paint job is insane, which you use for that. Yeah. I, I did that in a pretty short period of time because <laughs> I that was at a time I think you caught me when I was in kind of like a lull where I didn't have as many projects coming in. But at the same time, the projects I were I was doing for people, they were kind of a little bit more simple. So the turnaround time was faster. And obviously, as as I've had my name out there a little bit more, the projects have become more intricate. 
Um, but yours was like a personal vendetta for me at that point because it was it was such a unique thing and it carried over into something that, like I said earlier, I was a fan of, which was U.S. history. And it was cool to make something in in the retrospect that it hasn't it's been made, but not to that caliber. Oh, for sure, for sure. And for the reason, and for those who are like, "What the heck is a an air, like a, a lens shroud or an air raid shroud?" For for context, Southern Pacific did a thing where you have to keep in mind during the Second World War, they're located on the west coast, um, close to to Pearl Harbor. So air raids was a genuine concern for them. So what they would do is they put um, dispersion shields or lens covers over the, the headlights to prevent the light from shining upwards to pr- protect trains from air raids. Um, which is very, it's actually one of the things that you did to uh, the the model that I thought is, is, I hope you could touch on this as well. The juxtaposition between what you use for the paint versus what you use to make the dispersion shields. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, that was funny because like the paint, I knew what I wanted to use and like, and, and not to go too much into like my background, what I do for, for work, but working in aviation, I have access to all kinds of unique things. Thank God. And, um, when Johnny's like, I want to make this thing really, really shiny. So we have a paint at work that is aircraft spinner paint and it's for the turbine engine. So the thing that you see in the middle of the engine that has like this little swirly on it to keep birds away, that paint is like really, really shiny and glossy and it's very, very tough. So I ended up using that stuff and come to find out after I sprayed the engine, I think it was like $400 a gallon or something like that for paint, but like we didn't use a lot anyway. So I, I sprayed with that, and the headlight lens shield, I, I went around for like, oh my god, Johnny, what was it, two weeks? I couldn't figure out what I was going to do for the shield. Like, I think so, yeah. Yeah, like I was bouncing ideas off of different people, and I couldn't figure it out, and, and I ended up settling on a Burger King straw, and that and that, and it, it goes to show you, when you're doing custom anything, inspiration can come in the simplest manners. It doesn't have to be some type of big, extravagant, like custom 3D printed stuff. It could be something stupid simple that if you create it in the right light or the right way, it'll look just as good as something that's brass or photo etch or whatever. And, and I think I think that that air raid shield on the the headlight, I think that's that was always one of my favorite points on that locomotive because it, it set it off. It was so different from what you normally see. I mean, you see black GSs. I mean, they're out there. But that shield, if you have any inkling of what that shield was for in real life and then to see it on the model, that alone to me is super cool. And I love the fact that it was made out of a Burger King straw. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's, a, it's a great bar. I'm so happy that we were able to get it done. Yes, indeed. Carmine, uh, I'm a potential customer or... I'm listening to this podcast and you're talking about all this great stuff you do. And perhaps I want to have something done. How can I reach out to you? Uh, What's the best way to reach out to you and ask you about a project I might want done in the future? So there's a couple ways you can do it with social media being what it is. Um, You can go right onto Facebook and that's where my main page is. It's photo locomotive works. You can just search them in the bar there. And um, it has my, email on there, uh, my phone number, my contact information. You can even send me a a message on Facebook Messenger. Um, The page has the Instagram with the same thing. Um, And even my YouTube, even though my YouTube has kind of fallen off a little bit because I haven't had enough time to really do anything on YouTube like I was, you can go on there and see some videos of my models and stuff like that. And once again, that has um, contact information for me. But 
to be honest with you, most of the time, um, people just message me on Facebook Messenger. That's how I get a lot of it. I have gotten emails on and off, but the Messenger thing is more like, obviously, texting. So I answer back to that really quick if I can, if I'm not working or whatever. And that's probably the best way. Okay, excellent. And I'll make sure that we get your information um, in the show notes. Uh, uh, at the end of the episode yeah. here, you know, you'll let people know your other links too. But I'll also make sure that information is available in the show mm-hmm. notes. But um, just to kind of follow up on that really quickly, and I'm sure this is the million dollar question. And again, I know we can't get accurate information here, but yeah, what is the price range when it comes to having something custom painted or modified? The, the modified? price range, the price range really, it's Matt, it's such a broad thing because it is a case by case basis. I mean, everybody does something different. I mean, I'll tell you this, like the Disney engines, so, like, if you want a Disney engine done, flat out for, like, a Walter, it's 350 ish Like, right in that ballpark, depending on what, like, little things you want. Like, if you want, like, ash pan glow or, like, right. lighted gauges in the cab. So, like, little things will make a difference. And I'll be honest with you. I am not that consistent. It depends on how I feel that day. <laughs> okay. So, like, if I tell you 350 you know... 350 is like your base. Like by the time we're done, depending on how many hours or how fast I do things, it might be 300 bucks. It might be $315. You know, it, it, I try and base it off my time with how fast I can get things done and how, how efficient and how quick I move through my projects. Gotcha. Yeah. And based on what I've seen in the, in the work that you've done, I would say that would be a very very good competitive price too, because, you know, I've seen the Disney engines that you do and they're, they're fantastic. And we, we you and I both have a love for like the really small steam engines. Yes. Uh, so yes, uh, I, I would highly recommend uh, you check out a car mine, uh, check out his Appreciate page, that, Matt. see what he's doing, you know, uh, look at his stuff. And if you're interested, you know, please feel free to reach out to him. I got a, uh, question for you and you uh, talked about the million dollar question maybe, maybe oh i got boy. this one for you oh boy uh if you were to pick a project th- that you've done either customer or yourself uh pick a favorite oh man i could tell you the one i dislike the most <laughs> go for it the freaking jimmy buffett train man that thing <laughs> that thing gives me nightmares to this day like yeah. i'm so happy the guy was happy with it and it was totally i mean even my father loved it but that thing gave me anxiety looking at it. It was so against everything I usually do that it was like, it was really tough for me to like try and make that thing flow together. It was very hard because it was, it was the most, Oh, it was so wild to try and get that to work good for me. (laughs) Bro, you were on a discord call. We were on the discord call doing that. He's like, Oh my God, I gotta work on this stupid Jimmy Buffett. (laughs) So, uh, I love it. So let me say this. After you were done with it, did you uh, want to uh, waste away in Margaritaville? <laughs> Listen, I wanted to I wanted to step on a flip-flop and whatever on a pop-top, dude. Um, I, I think out of all my favorites of the one that I did, man, you know, it's funny. I look at all of them, and it's, it's really between two, and obviously they're Disney ones. I... I Man, see, I, I honestly didn't think this question was going to be that tough because, like, my favorites change from day to day. I really like 
the one custom ten wheeler I did in the fantasy scheme, the one that's the one that's named Snow White, obviously, because the colors on that are so unique and and I did a lot of that was the first time I took like a ten wheeler and did a lot of like my own custom stuff that I wanted to do to it. But I think out of my four four O's, dude, the CK holiday I did with that with that um Russian iron color that I pulled off on the boiler with the metal flake in it. Dude, in the sunlight with the high gloss that it has, that that I think is my favorite 440. So I'll have to say CK Holiday for the 440s and for the 10 wheelers, I'll have to say the uh the Snow White engine, without a doubt. Cool. I guess this is kind of a, a more general question, and it can help us transition some other topics as well. But um what what really got you into the whole um Disney scene in terms of the railroad and what's your involvement with uh, so so that that goes back to to my grandmother because um the first time I I mean everybody has I would assume that you guys have and most of the people in Discord and that are into model trains everybody remembers their first experience with a steam train or a train in general um but I'm gonna more relate it to steam trains because that's my transition into Disney. The first time I ever saw a steam train, my grandmother took me to Disney World um, when I was, crap, I must have been five or six. And it's funny because I still have a picture of this, too. And um, at the time, like, I, I knew Disney from, like, the like the, the VHSs. That's how far back we're going. And, you know, my grandmother's like, we're going to go to Disney World. We're going to go to Disney World. And, you know, she's the typical... She was the typical old Italian lady from New York. So she's like, oh, call mine. We're going to Disney World. You're going to love it. So we drive up to Orlando, which is like three hours for us. And I didn't know where we were going. Like, I see all this music. I see all these people. And I remember asking her, Mimi, where are we going? Mimi, where are we going? She goes, oh, my God, just stay. You're going to love it. Let me show you my boobola. That's how she was. So I remember she walked me up to the train station. And I remember sitting there, and I hear the whistle. And around the corner comes Royo Disney, which is the 440 on the railroad. And from that moment on, I said... This is the place right here. Now, Disney's a lot of things to a lot of people. And I, I know in today's world, you know, there's pros and cons to the place. But there's no way you can go to that park and not find something in that world or whatever. And whether it's Magic Kingdom or any of the other parks that doesn't pull at your heartstrings and make you go, holy crap, this is really cool. And that was my first experience with the train. And from that moment on, that's when I realized, dude, I want to I wanna be involved with not only steam trains, but like Disney to the best of my ability that I can. And that was really the beginning for all that. And then eventually I, I got involved with um, uh, Michael Broggy and uh, his Carolwood group. And I'm, I'm friends with them now. And uh, I've met a lot of cool people through the years and made a lot of connections. And half of those connections are the way I... I get my graphics and my artwork and stuff like that for, for my models that I do. And, um, I've met a lot of cool Imagineers. I, Tony Baxter, uh, Bob Gurr, I, I can go over the list and, uh, I, I try and stay as involved as I possibly can with that. Um, every year we do a Carolwood meeting. I see the, the Broggy family and, you know, I keep in touch with them and we're constantly putting things together with, uh, railroad history for Disney and Walt Disney's history and stuff like that. And, and to be honest with you, you know, Disney was one of the big reasons I, I did start doing the model trains because when you go to a theme park, I mean, 
most most of the time theme parks that have trains, they don't have anything for those trains. Maybe a t-shirt, maybe a pin. Disney did do a couple of sets back in the day, and I have them, but um, nobody really did a good model. Like, there's a lot of guys that do model trains, whether it's N-scale or O-scale, that, I don't care who you are, everybody would like a Disney train type of model. And I was like, why can't I be the guy that does it? And that's where it really took off for me, is I said, I'm kind of filling a weird, a weird niche here that kind of fills the gap between, you know, a high-end model that you can run on your layout at home and something that brings the nostalgia of a Disney park home. And that's, that's really what really kicked off the whole, like, side business here with this. Yeah, that's that's an awesome story. I think that's one of the things that really stands out to anyone who talks to you for just just for a few minutes, Carmine. Is that the you've had such amazing experiences and such great like so many connections with people. You've got it's like you've got a story for everything. Yeah, <laughs> I try to. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just I'll just point out the uh, the shared experience with an Italian grandmother because she was and I've told this story before a couple times uh, on in the podcast in the past, but. Um, she was a very big influence on me. Um, she would always buy me little HO and she always loved trolleys and that's why my love of trolleys is the way it is. But Oh, see, that's cool. I never do that. (laughs) Yeah. With my grandmother, I would, I would always have enough trains to play. And of course I would never go hungry either. That was, that was the one thing I could say about her. You know, my parents have always supported my hobby with this stuff. And every year for Christmas, my grandmother was like, what do you want for Christmas? And it was always an MTH train. And it was always an expensive one. And, you know, her deal was, listen, Carmine, I'll get you the train, but that's the only thing you get. And you know that's never the case with an Italian grandmother. You get the train, and then she always gets you more stuff. And, you know, God bless her because she, when I lived with her, she gave me the garage much to my father's dismay that he couldn't put the car in there, you know, but, um, she always gave me the garage and my dad always gave up the garage for me. And, and let me tell you something, God bless both of them because I drove them nuts. I had train layouts in the garage. I had them outside. I had them anywhere I could possibly put them. And that continues to this day. (laughs) (laughs) it, It works out, you know? It does. I'd be able to run the train somewhere. Unfortunately, in Florida, you don't have basements. So. Yeah, if it was in a basement, it'd be very hot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Want to support your favorite O-Scale podcast and rock some awesome merch? Well, now you can. We've teamed up with Redbubble.com and have come up with a great selection of gear that you can get right now. They have everything from shirts, hoodies, stickers, mugs, bags, you name it. Heck, you could even get a wall clock with us on it. All this great stuff and more at redbubble.com. Links are down in the show notes, so grab yourself some gear and rock some awesome podcast merch. So I gotta, I gotta ask Carmine, what, what is it about the? I, I know that um, you know Disney has a hand in it too. Uh, or I assume I have a pretty big hand in it. What, what is it about early steam that stands out to you? Because that's something that you you, you seem to gravitate more towards. You know what it is? It's because I'm a weird guy. Like, 
that anybody that's talked to me, I'm Florida man. Like I'm, I'm the weird guy. Like, you know, I'm kind of the oddball in the group and I've always been the oddball and I, and I love being the oddball. And that's kind of what I like about the early 18th century stuff is that no two engines were really the same. Each engine had its own personality and they were so, they were so like raw in their like design. They were so primitive and so simple, but that's what made it cool because you had so many of these different builders. It's not necessarily like it was in like the forties and the fifties where you had Alco, Baldwin, maybe Porter, you know, back in the day you had Mason, you had Baldwin, you had central Pacific built power. You had, you know, Penzi home built power. You had so many different companies that were putting out so many interesting things. And there was such a, such a, I don't want to say a camaraderie because that's not the right word, but there was such an interest in people taking designs from everybody else and forming them in their own way that we had such an influx of different engines. And that's what I, I love about it because they're so unique and so different looking, but they all have the same principle. And I mean, don't get me wrong. There were, there were some really out there ideas in that time and they were really cool. And, and I think that's what really makes me gravitate towards that, which is kind of odd because in the term of like U.S. history and American history and stuff, I, I more lean towards the 1940s because of the war. Um, but the Civil War era stuff, like Great Locomotive Change, the 1860s, things like that, those are by far, they've always been my favorite era of locomotive just because of the design. And that's when people, in my mind, I mean, with the exception of like, you know, Johnny, like the GS4s and the Super Chiefs and stuff, in, in my mind, people had pride in their engines because you were assigned to a locomotive and like that was that was your calling card <laughs> so like you took pride in what that looked like and I, I just think back in the day they were cared about more not only as a machine but like as a part of the family I can definitely get where you're coming from in that and you know there's also the level of ordinateness that comes with engines on that era too there was more a level of artistry is less for lack of a better term mm -hmm. and maybe 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 i'm interpreting this wrong but to me it comes off from what you told me it kind of like it's an early enough era of railroading where people were still kind of trying to harness that power of steam but at the same time it wasn't let's just you know it, there was a level of competition but also a level of let's see what else we can push yeah. the boundaries of steam and see where that let's see how us. far we can take it Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that, and what you're able to do with with that in terms of the hobbies is really impressive. You've definitely opened up my eyes to to what models are out well, there. I know Matt R. Too, yeah, I, I've turned Matt R. Early. to the dark side on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, those are those are awesome. I know. Um, actually, aren't, aren't, aren't Matt? Isn't he getting one of uh, formerly mine, formerly your engine? Yeah. Actually, we are. You know, I won't go into the details. Uh, yeah, but uh, we are doing a a trade uh, with some for work. <laughs> project work, and um, yep. I'm excited actually. Yeah, no, I am excited about about that project because that's something um, like Matt said, not to go into the details, but that's something really different from what I've normally done. So I am excited to try and uh, take a swing at that. I know, uh, Karma. Now you you and I have talked about. You know, hours on end about stuff that we want to do, like a, uh, I don't know, a uh, accurate blue comet. <laughs> yeah, but also, Matt, we've talked about stuff on hours on end that if we did do it, a lot of people would hate us <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> because we have oh, some outlandish God, yeah. ideas. 
oh yeah we we get we get on the call at early in the morning it's you don't know what's gonna fly you know yeah <laughs> well we'll go back and uh kind of bring us back to some of the questions we asked earlier so you have a lot of connections you've made through mm-hmm. um through the through railroading and through through disney and um You've also made some connections through, I believe you, you volunteered at a railroad museum as well. So, so I volunteer at a railroad museum. I'm an engineer there and I currently work with, um, us sugar right now as a volunteer. And I just started fireman training on the, uh, the, uh, us sugar 148, which was formerly a Florida East coast Pacific that kind of went all over the, all over the country. I think we got it out of Colorado before it came back to us for restoration. So, um, I've been dipping my hand in not only the models, but um, the full size stuff now. Gotcha. Gotcha. Do you have any, any favorite pieces that you guys have at the museum that you desperately want to have an O scale? <sighs> Honestly, I want a Ferdinand Magellan. Like I know third rail or whatever company Overland made them, but I can't swallow like $2,000 for a, an O gauge observation car. <laughs> I would love a Ferdinand Magellan just because it's so cool, especially with it coupled up to our hospital car. Um, and honestly, I, I would like a, a model of the 148 or the 153, one of those Florida's Coast Pacifics. I know K-Line made, to the best of their ability, um, the Florida Limited back, limited back in the early 2000s, maybe the 90s. But that thing's, that thing's like finding a holy grail. You won't find that. Um, but I, I'd like either a model of an FEC Pacific, which would be on my bucket list to make. Or like I said, a model of the Ferdinand Magellan. I know Lionel did one in their um, their O twenty seven heavyweights, but being around the real thing, walking through the real thing, dealing with the real thing on a pretty regular basis, like I couldn't I couldn't justify buying that because it was so off kilter from what it should be. But I think I think that's it. I think I'd want a nice scale Ferdinand Magellan. I've actually had the luxury of seeing one of those cars in person. Um... Uh, the model at least mm-hmm. not the, the real one obviously um because someone at uh, in the midwest division of tca they were running it on the modular layout and it is it is one of the most ornate observation cars i've ever seen it is insane plus the history behind it oh yeah just too. just the fact the submarine hatch on the ceiling is like the coolest thing <laughs> <laughs> and that would, that would definitely fit your collection very very well it would look good behind your black gs johnny Ah, uh, don't that? Yeah, yeah, I would. But I don't have. But I'm. I'm not. I'm. I, I already. I'm already emptying out my wallet for cars from Gold but I think I can go more for much further than that. Oh, you say that now. We'll see in six months. Yeah. I, I'll be. I'll be living in in a train box on the street in six months if that's the case. Yikes. Would you consider that to be like a white whale for you, or is there something else that you um, have been looking for you, for a long time? You know time? what, honestly. Matt, I kind of already got my white whale, but I guess if I had to find another white whale in O-Gage. Um, so, so I love like the SMR models. If you guys haven't seen those, I think it's called Schneider Model Railroading. They make brass 18th century engines. So I got the General. I would really, really like to get the Texas. Gotcha. Um, and talk about primitive. I mean, they're really beautiful brass models, but there's nothing to them. I mean, they're tender pushers and everything, but how do you have the general with no Texas? Like, that's the way I look at it. <laughs> you know, that's like, that's like having Han Solo and no Chewbacca. It doesn't work. 
laugh it up, fuzzball. Enjoying this week's topic? You can join in on the conversation too on our community Discord server. We have a lot of different discussion channels, ranging from showing off your collection, discussing the latest and greatest in the industry, a buy and sell forum, and even a voice channel you can hop on, call, and talk trains with us late into the night. We're a little over 300 strong, and we'll love to have you join us too. Check out the invite link to our community Discord down in the show notes, read and acknowledge the rules, and introduce yourself and start chatting. We have a great team of moderators who make sure all are welcomed and respected. So what are you waiting for? Come on down and join us in on the fun, and let's talk some trains. All right, Carmine. So I know I kind of asked this question uh, a little bit before, but uh, could you talk about your uh, involvement with the hobby shops, uh, specifically the one you're at now and the uh, previous ones you've been a part of? Well, um, the hobby shops, obviously, like I said before, they, they go back a long ways. Um, the hobby shop I originally worked at, it had three different names. <laughs> and it's not because it changed owners. It's because the boss really just changed names. I don't know why. Um, I started there, like I said, I was in um, high school, sophomore year, and I, I was there, holy crap, like I said, for about 15 years, and they finally went belly up um, because, I hate to say it, Amazon and stuff was killing us, um, and that was that used to be called originally Warwick's Custom Hobbies, and then it, went, then it went to Hobby Superstore, and then its final incarnation was Maniac's Hobbies, and we had everything from model trains to RC airplanes, which is another thing I'm into, um, plastic models, diecast cars, RC cars. We had everything. And, and that, that was my home for a long time. And that place I, I can honestly say was one of the places that taught me a lot. And I learned a lot. And the old guys that I worked with in the train department there, you know, a lot of the things I learned and the tricks that I learned and stuff, I, I learned from a lot of them. And I'm, I'm forever grateful for that place. That is, that is for sure. Um, the one I'm at now, is uh is essentially one of my second homes. It's called Ready to Roll Trains. Uh, we're down in Miami, Florida. To my knowledge, we're one of the few hobby shops in South Florida anymore. I think there's there's another train store called, and if you could believe that this is a real name, it's called Micro Macro Mundo. Um, I've never personally <laughs> been there. <laughs> I've never been there. I've only heard horror stories, but um. I guess the guy does a lot of Z scale, but we carry everything from N to G. Uh, the owner is named Bill. Uh, the two other guys I work with, Vinny and Daniel, were a great group. Daniel's a young guy like me, and we have a nice big layout. On weekends, you can bring your trains in to run your trains in the layout. And it's honestly, it's a really great store. And, and I was going there when I was a little kid on top of going to my old hobby shop before I even worked there. And, um, I, I absolutely love the place. I'm one of the techs there, so I do the repairs and, and paint fixes and things for them. And honestly, it's an excuse to go there, get paid, and run my trains <laughs> while getting paid. So, oh, yeah. and, and, and when you love what you do, is it really work? It's never really work. And, you know, I, I don't do it for the money. I do it because there's a lot of people that used to come into my old hobby shop that come in there, and I see a lot of familiar faces and it's it's a great place it's it's definitely one of the places i will go to unwind because you know even if you had a hectic week at work you can go there and any of you guys know you can go there and run trains around in a circle for a half hour to an hour and it just it makes you feel better you know for sure yeah that's really cool i uh 
as I know, we talk about all the time that that you work there and some of the stories and stuff. As mm-hmm. I, I never knew your uh, your involvement with that. That's really cool. Yeah. The the only thing I gotta say, if I had a complaint about the store, and I, I don't understand why, Bill does not have. I mean, he's got a website, but he's got nothing on it. He's got a big eBay presence, so their eBay presence is like ready to roll trains on eBay. But if there's anything people are looking for or anything in particular, they can always call us and. Uh, you know, we'll do what we can to help them out. Cool. I love the layout you guys have there. It, it I've only seen snippets of it from times you've showed us on camera or uh, when you take photos of your, your stuff running in the layout. But it's a beautiful layout. That's not something I like – we have a lot of uh, shops out here in Chicago, and, you know, they, they've all got beautiful stores to explore. But I don't, not many of them have huge layouts to run stuff on. I think the only ones that really have – big layouts to say i think it's like tony's and berwin are the ones that come to mind but you don't see hobby shops with such nice big layouts like well it's often. it's actually funny you say that johnny because like our our o gauge layout that's that's like our centerpiece for that place and it's like it's like 16 or 20 feet long by i want to say eight or nine feet wide so it, it runs all 072 curves except on the upper levels but then we have a full ho layout with dcc and dc and then we have a whole n scale layout in there too that that's crazy. I can't, I can't and, fathom. And it's that. and How it's a hole in the wall layout. place. I mean, you would never know we were there. And if you ever make your way down to Florida, Johnny, uh, we'll go there and you'll see what I'm talking about. Like we're in a warehouse district in the back. Like you would never know it was a hobby shop, but when you go in there, you feel like you're in an old school hobby shop. There's no windows. Everything's really close together. You know, you're walking through little hallways and stuff, and and it, it's great. It's a nice little piece of hobby shop nostalgia. I want to say. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that sounds like a great time. I, I definitely want to make sure I, we hop, we head on down there and uh, visit you sometime. Um, I actually had a, another question I wanted to ask you, which was from a hobby shop perspective. What do you do? You get a do you often run into the experience of kind of explaining like train stuff to people for the first time? I'm trying to get them hooked in the hobby. Or, with, or, so, like that, or they usually all returning customers. So, I mean, we, we have our, our fair share of, of the loyal people, you know, the cult, I guess you could say. Um, but you'd be surprised. There's a lot of people that come in and, you know, they want to get into it. And I mean, a lot of the people, as I'm sure you've seen at Berwyn and stuff when you've gone into the hobby shop, you know, the kid comes in, he wants the train set, and you know it's a 50-50 shot if this kid's going to stay into it or not. And... um you do your best as a salesman to try and explain to people, listen, this is the right way to go about this, you know, blah, 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 this, that, the other thing. And we do have our repeat customers, you know, but in an age of computers and video games and stuff, I find the young kids stay in it when they're young, then obviously they get out of it. But when they, when they get into like their late twenties, early thirties, I have seen them come back in some cases. And, you know, it kind of rekindles it or at least at Christmas, you know, we have people that buy sets during the year then they come back at Christmas. Oh, I want to add this to the train. I want to add that. And and you can sit there as a salesman and know, okay, well, these people are committed. They're going to be back. And then you got the people that hit it real hard. Like they get invested. They're there every weekend buying it, buying it, buying it. But a lot of times those people, they'll get really invested in it for like six or seven months and then you'll never see them again. But, you know, there is a, I always say hobby shops don't necessarily survive 
on the guys that spend money on the one big engine. It's the people that come in there weekly that buy the $20, a few $20 pieces here, $20 pieces here, because they're consistent. Yeah, you could sell a $1,200 engine, but what if you sell that one $1,200 engine for the for one year, like, you know, you're not going to have consistent income, you know? So a lot of people that come in that, that buy extra little pieces of track, they buy scenery here and there, you know, those are the ones I, I feel like you try and guide to the best of your ability because you see they're interested and they have a passion for it and they're asking the questions and, you know, the guys that come in that just say, I want to train for the tree, it's not always a... It's not always a guaranteed four-way into the hobby where they're going to stay invested in it. And that, I mean, that's the way I, I look at it. You know, I, get, I do my best to help people. I'll bend over backwards for anybody with stuff like this. But, you know, it, it's a two-way street. And you got you to be honest with me. Tell me, listen, I don't think I'm going to stay into this or this is a, a passing fad. And, you know, if you're straight with me, I'm going to be straight with you about stuff, you know? I try not to lie to anybody about anything. I'll, if something if something is not good or I don't think it's good, I, I tell them straight up. I'll say, listen, I wouldn't buy this. <laughs> I wouldn't take this if you gave it to me. You know, because I look at it, if I was in their position, would you want the salesman lying to you just to make a sale? Yeah, that's a that's a very good point to make, and it's a very insightful look into the the hobby shop side of things. Because as as modelers and, and and enthusiasts, we don't really think of how how it is from an industry perspective of of the the hobby shop side. So, very insightful. Yeah, I have a question. This yes. might be a really strange question, but you and I obviously share. We actually we actually share a lot of uh, interests. But We're nerds, Matt. You could say we, it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go down the route of uh, Star Wars because I'm sorry, <clears throat> Star Wars, because I'm sure there's a lot of people that listen to this who are also Star Wars fans. Have you ever thought about making a custom Star Wars engine? Okay, so yes, there is a guy. I forgot his name, but he's he's a painter and he did some Star Wars train prints. If I can find them. I will send them to you, and I have tossed around a Star Wars engine, but I'm waiting for the right engine. And when okay. I say the right engine, I, I I I have to do it as um I have to do a Rebel engine, and I'd have to do an Imperial engine. If I was doing an Imperial engine, it's got to be a Dreyfus yeah. because <laughs> that would be awesome. Because that thing in like in like a high gloss black, yeah, you know, with like the like the Imperial cog or whatever on it would look really cool. And if I had to do a, a rebel or a rebellion engine, I'd probably be looking at honestly I'd probably be looking at like um like a Mikado or something. Something a little bit more rugged. Gotcha. More like rat more like ragtag, I guess you could say. But yes, yeah, Star Wars a Star Wars train has has come up. Um it's just one of those things I haven't found the the engine i really want to use yet at the price because that that's what a lot of it balances on for me okay. is that i sometimes i can't justify paying nine hundred a thousand dollars for an engine just to take the thing apart and paint it you know yeah and i've been waiting for uh and i've bothered uh <laughs> bothered ryan enough uh on our uh you know our catalog shows i think over the last two two years you know, hey, when are we going to get that uh, Star Wars engine, you know? I mean, they have the Disney license, so yep. I'm hoping it's 
just a matter of time. Hey, you know what? Maybe in the next catalog. Again, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what's in the next catalog, but you never know. Well, Rochford, you know, you know, Matty C had he did a Star Wars flat car with an ATAT or an he ATST. Did, he did. I saw that. That one's cool. Okay, yeah. so I I have a flat car. I have everything I want for a flat car already. I just haven't bought the flat car. Okay. And needless to say, you got to have something to fight the ATST. So <laughs> I I have it all waiting. I'm just waiting to buy the flat car that I want so I can start it. But needless to say, the Empire's got to have somebody it's going to fight. And the ideas I got for the flat car are going to be really cool. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, Carmine, just want to touch base actually really quickly on when we're talking about uh, your hobby shop experience. Mm-hmm. Now, this is something that Matt already usually asked during our interviews, but um, you might be able to give a, a very unique perspective on it since you you have hobby shop experience. What are what are your your thoughts on the hobby for the next ten years? What do you see right now that you think Lionel or MTH or the manufacturers should be looking into more or pushing more on for the next for the next generation of, of hobbyists? Well. Me being a scale hobbyist and and to the best of my ability, a scale hobbyist, I I love the legacy stuff and I love all that stuff. But I'll be honest with you, man. I I feel like the Lion Chief stuff is is to quote Howard Hughes, the way of the future, because <laughs> those those little engines with what they're packing into them and the simplicity of everything, and now with the Lion Chief Plus 2.0, where you can run them with TMCC or your legacy system, I just think I think those are the new rail king in my opinion, because they're priced right, they're budget-friendly. Um, if something does go wrong, there's only a couple things that go wrong, that, and they're easily fix, fixed with a replacement board or whatever. And you know what? They're 027 in most cases. They'll run on any type of curve, any type of O-gauge track. They're the type of engine that if you have it and you want to go to a local club, you know what? You don't got to bring a fancy control system with you. You throw the thing on the track and you pull out your phone. And you get everything. I mean, with the exception of like a quilling whistle or a quilling horn or whatever. But you know what? You got everything and you got a train that you can run on any O-gauge layout that you want. And I think they're priced right. And I think they're just getting better. I would love to see Lion Chief maybe put whistle smoke in something. Just that. They don't have to do anything crazy. But I feel like if they put the whistle smoke in it, that would be the cherry on top for me. And I think that is definitely gonna help the hobby grow more and more and get more kids involved in it just because you have the ability to run the trains with an iPad or a phone which you know phones are what everybody has nowadays and they do everything on their phone and the ability to integrate something that's so high tech and modern that you carry with you on a daily basis to run a toy that has been around for over a hundred years. It's just been upgraded and changed throughout all these years. I think that's a wonderful blend of the past and the present coming together to make something that was old, new again for future generations. And I think the hobby's only going to go up from there, to be honest with you. And that's a, that's a very fair point. You know, with, I, I know it's, it's hard for her folks who have been into the hobby for a, a long time to, to think, you know, uh, screens and and phones mm-hmm. and tablets are the way to go for control. But in terms of getting folks in the hobby, um, to think of it this way, how many times you at a train show? Uh, for example, when I was when I was younger and I was at the TCA modular groups uh, show in Roselle, uh, I was handed the, the the Cab One remote for the first time, and 
I saw a gazillion buttons and half of them weren't labeled and I didn't know what any of it did. I just knew which one blew the whistle and the bell and that was as much as I as I knew. And, you know, it's kind of scary handing some something like that to a member of the general public. But you give somebody or a kid or an adult a, a phone. Well, they know how a phone works. They know how an app works. So it's really easy. There isn't that level of needing to translate what each button does to the general public. It's they just grab yep. it and they go. And that's what I, I, you know, nothing can beat the tactile feel remote. I, I'm not trying to say that they're not great. I, I use remotes. I don't use my phone because it's not something I have access to using on my lab right now. But in terms of longevity and, and getting more people into it, that that's really important to remember. I, I've always felt, Johnny, and you probably feel the same way about me with this, is that if you make something too complicated, people are afraid to do it. If you make it as simple and raw as possible where there's no writing, you don't have to read nothing, it's images, anybody can use it. And that's the beauty of the Lion Chief stuff, I think. I think it's an interesting take, too, because I think you're the first person to actually bring that up where Lion Chief is really the kind of way of the future. And I do agree, I do agree with you in some ways. I think with the rising costs of a lot of these big scale engines and sets, you know, not everybody has access to these things, Mm -hmm. Um, but giving people kind of these low costs uh, sets or engines with a nice little remote to go along with it. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest with you and I'll be very transparent to the folks here on YouTube. Like I think the line sheet videos always do way better than the the scale review videos. And I can tell you from my own experience, that is the case. All of my YouTube videos that had any kind of like Lion Chief in them review, the the number of, of likes and the number of views on them are just below all of my other videos out of the water. So there is definitely a demand. I'm not saying like, you know, people watching videos equals the number of people wanting to buy those trains. Yeah. But obviously there's a market out there. People are going online and watching these things, you know, and it, here's the thing with Lion Chief engines, they span a huge amount of ages, like, Uh you know, like big scale engines. Like, let's face it. Like, you know, the demographic for that is older guys like yeah you know, absolutely let's not, you know let's not beat around the bush here like older guys we want you know big scale steam engines lion yeah. chief engines huh i don't know age four to age 99 i probably yep. right yep yeah so they're 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 the lego of the model train world yeah uh, everybody exactly. plays with them and yep. and i know i know matt z can tell you because me and him are in the same boat with our with our lion chief generals I got the Lion Chief uh, Great Locomotive Chase set with the two engines. My wife actually got it for me for Christmas, and I run the heck out of those things. And it's nice to be able to take it to work and not have to bring my legacy system or any of this stuff where I can just put the engines on the track and either pull out my phone or grab the remote it comes with and run both engines with the remote. And it's above everything, convenience is the nicest part about it. Because we live in a fast-paced world where, you guys know, people don't want to assemble nothing. They don't want to have to fix anything. They want it all push-button and simplicity. And I think Lion Chief, I think Lionel's got a freaking solid product there. 
and I think they're they're doing it right and and I think Lion Chief looks at the mistakes that other companies have made and said, okay, this drawbar didn't work here, so we're gonna fix it and we're gonna do it this way instead because we know it didn't work this way for this company. And I think Lion Lionel looks at other companies and says, okay, I didn't like the way they did this, so let's do it this way and change it. And they and they learn from other people's mistakes as well as their own because you know Lionel's not perfect, but. You know, I, I appreciate with the Lion Chief stuff to the lengths that they're going to make a plethora of different models. I mean, obviously, they're going to reissue a lot of stuff. I mean, some of these Lion Chief molds, I mean, you guys know, they're post-war molds, you know? Yeah. And it's cool to see those brought back. We have a guy that works with me at the hobby shop, this older guy, Vinny, and he's got a Lion Chief um, Alco AA set. And he's got a Lion Chief Burke, which is the uh, the post-war model Burke, the 760, not the 765, the 736 or whatever. And he's like, I love it. I don't I don't have to put the mileage on my old stuff. And these have sound and they have smoke. And, and that right there is a perfect example of where they fall from the 4 to 99 years old. Yep. Because we got a little kid, James, that comes into the hobby shop and he can pick up any of our remotes there. And he can run any of our trains with the Lion Chief stuff. And, you know, he's going to be five <laughs> or whatever. And then you got Vinny, who's in his 70s or his 80s, and he plays with it and he enjoys it just as much as James does. Yep. And that's the beauty of it. And, uh, and I'm sure the uh, the profit margins on the Lion Chief stuff is uh, honestly, you know, and again, this is not I'm not basing anything's on facts. It's just yeah. my own personal opinion. I think Lionel makes most of their profits off of the, the Lion Chief stuff. Oh, that yeah. that carries it. I that mean, carries it. Look at the catalog from this year, the 2023 mm -hmm. volume one catalog. It's a big catalog, right? 75% of that book is Lion Chief. A hundred percent. Yep. A hundred percent. And you know, they, they know where their demographic is with, with their older collectors and their modelers. And, you know, they try and tailor that to certain things with certain people, but you know, it's like anything else, you know, you gotta, you gotta get the kids interested in it for the hobby to survive to a certain degree. And if you can get the kids and the, the, the parents involved for a lesser price and still feel like they have a good quality product, then you know what? That one in five chance that that kid's going to come back year after year and want a better train next year and a better train the following year and then eventually have a layout and maybe yep. get his kids into it. You know what? I think that's worth the risk and that's worth making a couple, bringing back a couple of uh, post-war molds to throw uh, modern sound systems in them. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think this cab three coming on, you know, whenever, whenever it goes, whenever it shows I think, up, <laughs> I think it's supposed to be your early next year, 2024, but I think that's a good step for them. I think Lionel is creating a nice little tiered system that allows you yep. to control you know, just how MTH did it is look, we're going to put the same system in there. You can, buy the, the the lower end tier one stuff and buy the higher end stuff and you can control it all with the same the same unit which makes your upgrading uh you know direction a whole lot easier for people to yep. understand so yeah yeah I, I i agree with you in a lot of places on that yeah absolutely i uh i concur with everything you guys said uh, to, to sum it up same here same here Okay, well, I think that uh, I think that about wraps it up. I think this has been a a fantastic 
episode. Uh, and, uh, you know, we want to thank you, Carmine, for taking the time uh, to come on our podcast and talk with us uh, and uh, just find out more about you, about your business and your thoughts on the model railroading industry. Yeah, no, I'm glad you guys had me on. I, I, I'm honored <laughs> to say the least. And it's been great talking with you guys um, in this format. You know, we talk on the discord and stuff whenever we can here and there, but it's nice to hear questions that you may not normally ask on the discord in a, in a more professional in a more professional uh, environment, I guess you could say. Well, big thanks for you coming on tonight, uh, uh, Carmine. Really, uh, I know we've been trying to do this one for a while, and uh, I'm glad we got it to work for sure. Indeed. And uh, good old Carmine Crudel. You heard him uh, here live. Uh, <laughs> uh, you'll pay for that later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you, thank you, Carmine, for hopping on. Thank you very to, much to hop on with everybody else. And uh, learned a lot today, uh, especially outside of you know just about your past and your connections, and uh, definitely gave us and the listeners some things to to think about and, and take home. So, really appreciate you taking the time to, talk, to chat with us. Tonight. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And with all of our guests, we want to make sure that people know where to find you. So, Carmine, where can people find you on social media? Uh, like I said earlier, you can check Facebook. Just search up FOTA Locomotive Works. That's F-O-T-A, Locomotive Works. You can follow my page on there. I do update fo- uh, photographs of people's projects as I'm going. You know, it's not all the time, but it's whenever I can. You can reach out to me on there, message me if you have any questions concerning a project and things like that. Um, I do have an Instagram for it as well. I'm not as active on that. Facebook's kind of like my big thing um, for the business. And on YouTube, same thing, uh, Photo Locomotive Works. And uh, you guys can check out some of my videos of my past projects that I've done and some of my updates and things like that. And I'm, I'm going to try and get more active back in that uh, as time allows. But, you know, just really appreciate it all around. And I appreciate everybody's support that they've given me. And, you know, thanks for keeping me busy with projects, that's for sure. And I hope that, uh, hope your trains that you guys get from me last forever. And I build them to last forever to the best of my ability. And I hope you enjoy them as much as I do making them. Excellent. And Johnny, where can people find you? You can find me on YouTube at Automus. That's A-U-D-A-M-U-S. Like I said, I recently uploaded a video on my scenery of me redoing my yard. So if you're interested in checking that out, you can check that out in my most recent videos. You can also find me on Instagram at Automus underscore trains and Facebook by the same name. I'm a lot more active on there. I recently visited my buddy Ken's layout. So I'm slowly feeding some photos I took at his place onto my Instagram. So if that interests you, check that out. And last but not least, you can check me out on the Matt and Matt Oiska podcast Discord server where you can chat with myself, Matt Rochford, Matt Z, and uh, Carmine in an unprofessional uh, manner uh, on, on there and <laughs> chat with us and have a lot of fun. So come on down. It's a blast, and you'll enjoy your time there. Matt Z, how about you, sir? Yeah, maybe maybe a little too unprofessional at times, but <laughs> uh, in any event, uh, you can find me on YouTube under Matt-Trainlover9943. Facebook under the same name. Instagram is mats.hobbies. And like Johnny said, on the Discord server as well. Always had talking, having a good old time. And uh, definitely be sure to join it. It's always a ton of fun. And you can find me on YouTube at West Chicago Model Railroad. I'm on Facebook as West Chicago Model Railroad. And I'm on Instagram as WCMRR. You can 
also find the Matt and Matt podcast on Facebook. Just, you know, hit the search bar and look us up. And of course, everything we talked about tonight, as far as uh, contact information, social media, everything will be in the show notes if you need it. And with that said, thank you, gentlemen, for a excellent podcast episode. And I will talk to you guys later. Take good care, everyone. Take care, everyone. Take care guys. Thank you.